0: Confining myself into Australia was interesting. It was like I had to fit into a certain mold, but also the expectations that come with a Southeast Asian culture, especially Sri Lanka, you'd, you'd know this too. Like there is an expectation that, okay, we've immigrated to a better place. The expectation right. is that you do better than we have. A, B, C, D, E.
1: Today I talk to you fellow podcaster, Jeannie Saraswathy. She is founder and CEO of Genie Media, a podcast production company whose motto is made offbeat, which, you know, describes my life. She's also a contributor to Entrepreneur and Rolling Stone magazine. And we talk about everything podcasting, her thoughts on the industry and where she sees it going. She also talks about growing up brown in Australia and what life was like in Sri Lanka as a child. If you are interested in podcasting, or you know maybe you've already launched your own podcast, this one is definitely for you. Please enjoy my interview with Jeannie Saraswati. Obviously, I I've known who you who you are through LinkedIn and through the podcast industry, and let's just jump into genie media. So your motto is made off beat, right? Right. Yes. I've interviewed people in the industry, but you're the first independent network head that I've interviewed. Um, and so you right. everyone has different right. points of view. So like, I just went to podcast movement. Like I was telling you what 4.4 million podcasts out there. It is becoming more of the wild, wild west. I feel like every week there's something new popping up or something new to learn or some new platform. It is insane. So like, this is going crazy. You've been in this for a long time. So let's talk about your company
0: first. Why did you decide to start it? That's a great question. I mean, sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. And the, that's only like 2% of the time, 98% of the time, I'm very, very happy with the choices I've made to get to where I am here. But to your point, Ami, like when I started in ra- I started in radio originally. So I was an FM radio host in Australia for 10 years on and off. And when you're an FM radio host in the early 2000s, as a consequence you're forced into being a podcaster. So you have no choice. it's um, not as if they like they grabbed us by the neck and like, you have to be a podcaster. They literally would, you know, take the interviews we'd do on air on FM radio stations and they'd put that on iTunes, which is what Apple Podcasts was called in the times. So they pop that on um iTunes and then you know listeners should could consume that. And what I noticed too being in radio for 10 years was when you're on an FM radio or any kind of radio host or program you are given a license to a specific geographic area. So, for example, if you're an FM host, your license is to a cap city, typically, so mine was Melbourne, and typically listeners get you live through two ways, through streaming, which is online, which does open up a world for online, but they also get you through, like, in their radios, in their, like, walkman's or whatever that was the device at the time but what i noticed was that when we had certain interviews especially with niche markets like lgbt or like actors in a certain genre of film i noticed our downloads were actually higher than our live listens and i realized okay on-demand tv was a big thing in australia at the time i'm like this is kind of like on-demand radio when you what year is this by the way this is 2007 Um, so we're talking early on, pretty early on. So we're talking 15 years ago and podcasting, when it started, people didn't take it as seriously as they do now, because when they started it, typically it was for like, okay, again, like I mentioned, it was just radio hosts being repurposed. But when you actually got down to it for me, like the way I see podcasting now, it's on every single niche that you could find, right? You can find podcasts on mugs or podcasts on hats. Yeah. Right. So I started started seeing the trend there because the station that I was at was an LGBT station. So a lot of the content we were doing was focused for that community, and it was actually an access point for a worldwide community. Because, like, okay, these people can access the podcast from anywhere in the world, which is what it was different from from on demand TV, because that's to your local network in your country, city, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why I noticed. Okay, there's a trend here. And so I started my own podcast and obviously some listeners carried on to that show from my FM bra- background. And I noticed, okay, there is a trend here of like, it's actually a powerful platform if you get onto it quite quickly, as you probably found, Ami, too, when you have a certain community that you serve, it actually spreads like wildfire. You right. actually can get a value. A Exactly. value. Yep. Exactly. So when I started, I'm like, okay, so I called my podcast The Ginny Show, Highly Narcissistic. Um, so hey, when I hey, hello.
1: I mean, <laughs> I mean high, high five out, sister, right? high, high five.
0: Well, listen, when you asked me to be on your show, I thought you were going to give me like short eats or something from like, the Southeast. I'm like, oh, wow, I get food with this podcast. So we can talk about that later. But um, anyway, the cool thing was when I started, a few people started approaching me going, hey, can you show me how to do this? Because podcasting was quite new. So that's how I accidentally built Ginny Media, which is we're an independent podcast producer for a variety of clients. Right. So technically, we're not a network, but however, we serve different clients from a wide array from Fortune 500s to small businesses to entrepreneurs. So we essentially do their Podcast production and strategy. Okay. So that's how I started Ginny Media. And, you know, I've, I have a couple of other businesses in podcasting, but that was a very long answer. I mean, so I'm going to let you jump in.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. So, your network, so how long? It's been around for a couple of years now.
0: Correct. It's been around, okay. it's been around for five years now. So, you don't refer to it as a network,
1: just no, a media we, company. Okay. okay.
0: We refer to ourselves as an independent podcast producer.
1: And then, how do you choose who to work with? Is it do they come to you? Do you seek out people? Like, if someone right now starting a podcast needs support, yeah. you know,
0: and appro- approaches you, how does it work? Typically, what happens is our pretty much our entire business has been built on word of mouth. So it's all referrals. Um, So if anybody refers us, typically we know that we have an introductory call with the client. We're like, all right, so what are your needs? What are you looking for? How can we support you? And if it's a fit, we proceed. So, but typically we don't have to do much of that because the person referring to them has already either briefed them and told us, told them about us. So they're like, all right, this is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, this is kind of how we have grown our business so organically. It's, it's, it's something that I'm quite passionate about too, because I find that I'm kind of old fashioned in that way. I, I believe in truly good customer service. And right. I think sometimes with tech companies nowadays, they think about the scaling and they forget the human. In, right. And I think the customer service element really brings out the human and serving to humans in general. So well, eventually it catches up, right? It does. Like, it it does. If the custo-
1: customer service is not there, it doesn't matter how much you scale yeah. at the end of the day, especially in, in this industry, I feel like. Yeah. So obviously you've grown. And so
0: like any startup, lots of pains, mm. lots of ups and downs. Yeah. Tell me about a few. Growing Ginny Media, some of the pain points I had was I started off as a freelancer. So this was my side hustle on top of my main hustle, right? Right. So I was essentially doing all the roles that I have now to an extent. I was editing the audio. I was writing the show notes. I was doing some graphic design. So I'm like, yep. I can't continue this. It's, it's impossible with the level of clientele I was getting and, and the amount uh, of scalability or demand that I, that I had moving over to America. It's like, can you do this? I'm like, I can, but you know, in terms of my time, I had to really manage it. So my continual thing, even to now as a five to six year business owner is that Which, how much of my stuff do I delegate? How much of my stuff do I keep? And how much do we look at other ways of partnership and collaboration and cost? So it's this continual refinement of where does my time and energy allocation go? Right, um, that's that's the pain point, point. and it's not really a pain point. It's just a skill we've got to develop over a time. growing point. Exactly, Evo- evolving, <laughs> growing right? pains. I think growing pain. <laughs> I'm trying to
1: think of like the nicest way to put it. What if someone like me were to come up to you and say, "Okay, I want to start my own media company. I want to start my own network." Yeah, would you be like, "Hell no, don't even think about it," <laughs> or and, and, and the reason why I ask you this is because, like we mentioned earlier, the podcast industry just it's growing so much now. Yeah, there's so many independent podcasters like myself yeah. trying to figure out how do we get discovered? Like, how does this even work? You know, unless you're yeah. on these huge platforms, yeah, it's really, really hard. You know, and like I've been doing this for two and a half years and I'm finally seeing numbers. But that's like after like, you have to be consistent. You have to kind of just swallow your pride and keep yeah, going. Um, exactly. So advice one for someone like me who would be like, okay, next steps, do we do a network? If I do, or a media company, is it is it just too crazy to start on your own like that?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think what you've proven is you've proven the act of discipline and consistency. And to be a podcaster, this part isn't talked about as much in the vein I'm about to express it now. Podcasting requires discipline, showing up, preparation, and remaining consistent, right? If you're not a disciplined person, like podcasting is not for you. And I say that with love because you've got to show up when you say you're going to show up for your guest, for your production team, if you have one or yourself, if you're editing, you also have to show up for your audience, who's the most important person in this conversation. And I say that really strategically because people kind of forget that podcasting, primarily your podcast, I've listened to, it's conversation between you and a guest, but it's also the listeners involved in that conversation. Right. Right. And if the listener is expecting a tuck it out podcast to come on Monday and you're not there, I mean, they're going to be pissed. They're like, yeah. yo, I was like going on a commute. I was expecting the episode. It wasn't there. Right. And that's the sort of thing that I think you've got to think about as well, that discipline yeah. and consistency element. So if you came to me saying, Hey, I want to start a network, I would be like, absolutely. You have the blueprint to do that now. Cause you've done it for two and a half years. You've put in the work. Now to be able to, to kind of scout other podcasts to come on your network, to coach them, you've done right. the work. So you have the ability to do that. I would also say, I mean, I like to look at the history of how certain mediums have come about, right? Now right. you look at radio when it came out, it was a few stations here and there. Now we have radio networks. I'm not surprised that podcasting, I mean, the radio is the grandfather or the grandmother or the grandperson of podcasting, right? I'm not surprised that I'm seeing podcasting following the same trend. It's history and it just, you know, repeats itself in that way. Exactly. So absolutely, I think it's it's a great idea, especially if you have a community or an audience to serve. So your particular audience and the guests that you have, I so see a community for you and your network.
1: All right. I love how I'm getting free advice on our interviews. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and then last kind of podcasty question. And then I want to talk about you growing up in Australia. <laughs> sure. What should we expect in podcasting for the next five, 10 years? Is this going to keep growing? Is it going to become more regulated? It just feels like it's a free for all right now.
0: Yeah. I think what podcasting compared to other mediums, it's quite decentralized. So if you think of cryptocurrency, right. you know how there's different apps and different currencies Podcasting's the same with the different players that we're seeing. So we're seeing Spotify be a really good player in podcasting at the moment, right? They, they bought Gimlet, they bought Megaphone, they bought Anchor. Um, they're now looking at programmatic ads. Then you look right. at iHeart. So I would actually see other companies invest like Amazon brought Wondery. So I would see more of that. Um, and I think it's the whole premise of buying media companies or buying content creation companies to serve a specific media. So I do see a lot more of that coming in the next five to 10 years. I also see podcasting being done in ways that's different from now. YouTube has entered, has entered the market. YouTube has definitely entered the market. And I think the other thing that's really important to look at is, so video, obviously audio and video podcasts will be I know. a huge thing. Have to, <laughs> ha- have to do video now. Have to do video now. We have to, we, gone are the days we could do our podcast in i I'm like, that's why I got, I got
1: into podcasting. So I don't have to worry about how I looked. And like, now uh, I'm like,
0: really? Anyway. Right, right. Even in like breakfast when I did morning show radio, I didn't really have to worry about my hair. But now I do. Yeah. I'm like, I have to comb it. I'm like, really? Yeah.
1: I know. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I mean, I, can, I still wear my PJs bottom half. For right. Sure. So <laughs> exactly, it's fine. exactly. It doesn't matter.
0: But I think it's to your point. I mean, the, the radio, uh, the video element of it is going to be video distribution. And I think different ways of podcasting, in terms of, I will see, I think we'll see companies do more like serial or seasonal. Podcast, They won't necessarily be episodic like you are. You're on every week. Right. Um, so they'll find ways to kind of niche it up or create it. And, you know, we might see more audio dramas come yep. about. Um, we're actually working on an audio drama, which we're about to release too, but I think we'll see audio and podcasting used differently. differently, um, yeah. and But in a sense of, I would also pay attention to radio trends. Like, you know, when we used to see radio dramas, I'd see the same recreated in podcasting, but with a modern context. So yeah, that's kind of what I see coming up in the next five to 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. I actually met a
1: lot of people that are at, at podcast movement that were, are in podcast, but also connected to radio yeah. a lot. And it feels yeah. like there's going to be a lot of crossover with that. I'm not sure what that means yet, but... <laughs> I've definitely met a lot of those people that are kind of a hybrid. And you you were kind of answering it. Uh current projects that you could talk about?
0: Yes. So we're working on an original uh series called Fear a Love Story. So it's a radio a, a mini series of a it's a radio drama about it's a story within a story. So there's this woman who's going, Deborah is her name. She's diving right into podcasting, but in it she finds like she's writing about a couple who murders. So it's like fake true crime in an audio drama. So we're releasing that in the horror month of October. Um, I'm very excited. It's got some really cool uh, actors that you probably would have seen on TV. Evander Duck from uh, Godfather of Harlem is in it as well. You'll very hear his cool. voice. So we're very excited about this particular series because it's the first original piece of audio that we've put out as a company. We typically uh, you know, produce client audio. That's their content, but this is the first piece of creative we're doing as a company as well so I'm very excited to see that must have been fun to do for you it was really fun because like it was like okay well this is we can have a lot of fun with the audio design right like the sound design element of a a podcast is what really gets me excited I'm like all right how can we bring this to life how can we make this immersive for the listener and the audience and also like create a pretty cool um experience for everybody right so yeah very very exciting stuff (laughs) all right well definitely check that out all right so
1: I know you grew up in Australia Mm mm-hmm And your background, are you, is it Sri Lankan? I am
0: Sri Lankan born, Australian raised, and now I live here.
1: (laughs) Okay. So tell me about your childhood a little bit. So you you were born in Sri Lanka. When did you get to Australia? Yeah. What was your relationship being Sri Lankan in Australia? Because it's very different
0: than being here. Yeah. Talk about that part. Sure. So born in Sri Lanka, my family moved to Australia when I was two years old. So my mom was one of 10. So all of her family were like migrating to Australia. So my aunt first moved to Melbourne, then she sponsored all of the eldest aunt. Then she started sponsoring the other siblings and my mother was, it was her turn. So we came to Australia. Um, It was interesting because in Sri Lanka, you know, I had the freedom to run around wherever I wanted to, like literally there were moments where like my parents always tell me that I'd run down the street and I'd end up at my neighbor's place pretending to read the paper. Now, in Australia, you don't do that. That's not seen as respectful. So I felt a little bit shackled in Australia. It's like you have to stay in this two-bedroom apartment. And, like, and again, what I'd do, I'd move the sofa apart and I'd roll a skate up and down and I'd, I'd try to do something. So I, yeah. I was a very spirited kid. So confining myself into Australia was interesting. It was like I had to fit into a certain mold. But also, you know, the expectations that come with a Southeast Asian culture, especially Sri Lanka, you'd know this too. Like there is an expectation that, okay, we've immigrated to a better place. The expectation is that you do better than we have uh, A, B, C, D, E. So I knew that, okay, I thought, okay, maybe I'll be a doctor because I had this innate feeling of wanting to serve people didn't really like science. So that's a problem. Eh? That's, yep. that's, that's my, my,
1: <laughs> my story. Mine
0: was math. So yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so, and I realized, okay, so I kind of hit, I tried to fit into this. Okay. I'm going to try and be a doctor. And then I realized it wasn't for me. And then when I went to Catholic school and my, I met my best friend at the time, she kind of bought me out of my shell and I was doing more arts and drama. I'm like, okay, I see, I see myself doing more like stuff in radio and I, I, I started doing stuff in theater and that was really exciting, too, because I got to explore that part of me. But I feel like the interesting thing about growing up in Australia, you know, being born in Sri Lanka and then moving up over here is not many people know where Sri Lanka is in America, which is quite hilarious. I, find. I know. <laughs> I was like, where is that? It's like, is that like a subculture of Australia? I'm like, no, no, it is not. Wow. Um- <laughs> Wow. That was the latest one I got on a plane. Hey, wow, well, that's recently. pretty good. I like that one. <laughs> um it It's just I think every culture I have an appreciation for from what I've been, right. like the traditional values of Sri Lanka. I love the, I guess, the laid-back sense of Australia and their customer service, and I love the ambition and drive here that I experience in New York. So I have appreciation for all the cultures, and I, and I, I find myself being a student to these cultures and, yeah. and kind of, you know taking what, uh, what I feel is, is really resonant with me. Yeah. Um, so it's really helped me. I think every culture has kind of helped me as shaped me into who I've become. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's
1: otherwise, that's the only way you can be when you're moving around that much. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you'll be miserable exactly. as a, as a kid, parents, super religious, uh, you know, what was your relationship with being Brown right. and, and living in Australia? I've heard, you know, like in America, mixed stories of, yeah. Indian, Sri Lankan, South Asian kids in, in the US hating it, loving it. Yeah. There's been a mix of how they viewed themselves right. uh, compared to American culture
0: and fitting in. Yeah. How was it in Australia? See, that's a great question, Ami, because when I moved to Australia, we moved to an area which is is, is Northcote. Now it's the area for hipsters and lesbians. Nice. So when I moved there, it was just, we were probably one of the only brown families there. So it, I felt very, very different because I felt very other, very other. And even like kids would ask me, why are you brown? And what do you say to that? Right. It's like, I don't know. Everybody I know is brown. Why? It's are you called that a color? natural tan. Exactly. Exactly. You pay for this color. Yeah. Sometimes. Anyway. Exactly. So that part I did notice. Okay. There's something different about this, this place. And also, I think, you know, there were certain teachers just getting, acclimated with, okay, there's all these new cultures and new kids and new parents and new communication. So I have empathy for that. They were trying to learn and navigate this new influx of, of children okay. coming in from countries they weren't particularly used to, or maybe they didn't even know about. Um, so my, I, I did feel different in that area. And then we moved to an area called Clayton, which is like the Southeast part of, of Melbourne, which is very much a Indian Sri Lankan, Greek Italian so there were a lot more people who looked like me except I f- I still felt different because I'm like oh this isn't what I was used to I, I kind of grew up with those perspectives and now we've got th-. so it was kind of this juggling yeah. act of okay where do I fit in this but I think what was grounding for me was my mom had a rule at home and it was that we speak Sinhalese at home which is our, a native tongue in S- Sri Lanka And you can speak English at school. And I found that part really kept me connected to the culture. When I went to visit Sri Lanka, when I went back there, when I was 18, I was able to communicate with family and that was really meaningful and still is. And I think there were certain customs she had that she, she put us through. She didn't, she wasn't really strict about everything, but certain things. Like, I don't know if you have this in India, but when the girl gets her period, they have this big ceremony. So my mom did that. And at the time I'm like, this is so weird. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why? Wait, is this I fucking- want to hear more about this. That's amazing. So they actually <laughs> they have a ceremony. So like, do they invite people? Is it like yeah. a, like a so, sweet 16, but, but not as fun kind of thing? <laughs> it's not as fun. As, so when a girl gets a period in Sri Lanka, so this was my mom's this is the Padma, that's her name, Padma version of it. So Padma okay. would like, so if w- when I got my period in Australia, you have to stay in a room for three days. You can't see any men because that's that's the tradition. So you get, it's yep. cool because you I got the TV moved into my room and in quarantine. Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly, I experienced yeah. quarantine. She'd yeah. bring the food to my door and I wasn't allowed to see any men. Then after three days you have a shower and you cover your face and then you you get dressed in a really nice, dress and you go out, there's people there and there's food on the table, there's money. So it's like welcoming the girl into womanhood, essentially. And yep. but in, if I was in Sri Lanka, there'd be coconuts involved and cracking coconuts. So I like, didn't get Like that fireworks whole. outside <laughs> totally. and just like
1: the whole like
0: city would know. Totally. Exactly. Yes. So yes. I didn't get that whole enchilada, but I, I got a, a toned down westernized Padma version of it. Um, so that was that. But there were like these little customs that she did. And I really appreciated that because – It allows me to remember like, yes, I I was very privileged to be able to grow up in Australia. I'm very privileged to be able to access education and pretty much choose where I wanted to live. My right. family in previous generations did not have those choices or those the luxury of making such choices. So right. it just allows me to remember and be rooted in where I've actually come from. So I really appreciate that element that my my mother really brought to to our family.
1: No I love that. I uh I'm just thinking of my own story when I got my first period I was actually in Bombay. Really did you have my a mom- whole ceremony? Uh, no, we don't do that. It's more like don't tell anyone kind of situation i don't know and i can't really say i don't think there's a ceremony in hinduism right i know my like in fam- like my family like it was more like you can't go inside the kitchen there was like rules oh, like right. you can't i think the initial reason for all of it was so women didn't have to work during that time right 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 i right. will tell you though i uh, you know i appreciate that you look back at that and again, this is not about getting your period, but we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be, but <laughs> I, I, just that ceremony and that you appreciate it. I look back at that stuff. Like I, you know, I think I was in a room for a day and I couldn't yeah. go in the, it was, a, I just remember it being really awkward. I look back at that time in a negative point of view. Wow. Anyway, so that's okay. what's interesting. Anyway, well, yeah. we can, yeah. we can <laughs> break that down one one day, but I look at it as being, it was it's just too, it was too traditional for me. It was, um, making something that should be just a natural, mm-hmm. you know, yes. progression in life for women. woman. Why is this such a big deal? Like, why do we right. have to have these rules associated right. with this? Right. And so I look back at that whenever, whatever few things they made me not, like, made me do, made me not do. And I get, like, annoyed.
0: Right. Anyway, like, it is annoying to be stuck in your room, and again, like yeah. the girl who used to run next door to be stuck and like in not being room. able to see
1: men and this and that. like It feels like these are rules that are made yeah. up by these men. I don't know. True. Who knows? Yeah,
0: I oh. actually joke around saying, "Listen, like I'm gay. That's probably the reason why. Like you locked me up and said no men, and I took that literally. <laughs> Wait, you're joking that you're gay, or you no, are? No, I actually s- am gay. So oh, I was like, okay. oh, okay, me- me- okay. Me- yeah. me- that's why I'm like. Listen. Maybe that's what it is. No, man, I took it literally. Like, maybe your <laughs>
1: parents knew and they're like, huh, maybe this will work. <laughs> maybe this will work. love like, it. No. They were just ahead of their time. They're ahead of their time. <laughs> maybe. So your relationship now yeah. with being Sri Lankan, with being brown, yeah. you came to the States. Obviously, it's a whole different experience. Yeah. Are you embracing it. You love the brownness. Are you still kind of, you know, trying to fit into the culture here? But it, it seems like you have a very healthy relationship
0: with being brown, there with are, brown. there, there are, here's the thing which I've been trying to delineate. I mean, and it's taken, it's taken and taking years and sessions of therapy to do this is delineating between what is Brown and what is culturally uh, permeating within this specific family that we have. Right. Right, Cause, Cause it, it is, it can be two different it things, can be two different things. Right. Right. So there are Brown things that, that we'll discuss, but, Typically what I've observed in in my particular and this has been my experience. I'm not saying this is everybody's experience, but the way my parents were were raised, right? right? The men were given this kind of like they they looked for a boy to carry the family name, which is exciting. So I was obviously the second born in my my family. And when I was born, my dad was like, No. Like yep. you know, that was his last hope. Was, my mom's like, one more, that's it. Yeah. So yep. like, you know, I was the last shot. No, didn't work. Yep. So there was obviously prevalence given to men. Um, however, I noticed there was this was a trend in my, both my parents' families that the men were given this expectation of, okay, you go work, you carry the family name, you have the responsibilities, and you call the shots on pretty much all the, I'm going to say, life admin choices. That's just a very loose term. I like that. Life. Advantages. And then okay. the women were kind of put in positions where they had to kind of carry a lot of the emotional burden. Like I think about the parties when we were growing up that I'd experienced with my uncles and aunties. The men were in the garage, smoking, drinking, having their treats, and the women were left with the kids. Right. And just with each other. The men were actually enjoying the party. Exactly. And the women, and this was my experience in Australia. And I'm like, well, we all
1: had versions of that. Like, by the way, it was, you know, whether it was, but it was always the men sitting around enjoying and the women were always cooking and serving and exactly with the kids. Again, (laughs) I think during that time, like you probably, it was fine. Like, whatever
0: Mm -hmm. you see it as normal. It is. But now when I look back, I'm like, oh, Uh, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then I noticed, like, you know, as we grow up, and, you know, I have a lot of cousins. My mom, as I explained, was one of 10. We look at, okay, a lot of the emotional, like, I guess the emotional um, baggage or whatever, or or decisions to make about children or specific relating to children's education, choices that would really affect a child's future was put on the woman or the the mother figure in in the family. And what I noticed was, Sometimes the women did not have support, especially if it wasn't a decision aligned with the cultural norm of the place. And this is where my mom was a bit of a trailblazer because my mom was divorced twice. She got married three times. So she was seen as, oh, what's this woman doing? What's mm. this instability she's putting on? But my mom's, I guess, people to talk to were her kids. And to put that amount of pressure on kids to listen to that, it can be a lot for kids to carry. And I've noticed this pattern in the generation of her siblings too. The kids carry or are pressured to fix or find a solution that the parents were unable to do. So that's been my family's experience. I have noticed this in other brown families where a lot of that pressure is put on kids. Yep, And it's just interesting because- It's common. It's common. Yeah. And, and it's, I feel don't, that don't think it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. I think in this generation too, the important part, and I think w- my cousins and I talk about this is how to set appropriate boundaries around that. Because even nowadays, like I get calls from my aunts going, this has happened with this cousin, and the expectation is you fix this. Yeah. It's like really. Mm, yeah. yeah. I uh
1: yeah, I feel like that's part of all families to a certain degree. Yeah. I have unplugged myself from all of it. All my relatives are in India. And right. in fact, Jeannie, I'll tell you, like, even with my in-laws and my husband and I are all on the same page with this, right. like, but with my parents, you know, when he has to deal with them, I mean, everyone's fine, but we are really strong about our limits. They know. Yeah. I'm like, nope, this is, this is not 30 years ago. Sorry. Yeah. This yeah. is not the way it works anymore, yeah. you know? And so yeah. I, I think we... Have to learn that. I mean, we were born and raised here. Like, it's just it was a whole different way of thinking, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, they're like, Oh, that's your American side. I'm like, Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. I find yeah. that there is this cultural shaming. Oh, you're so Aussie now, or you're yeah. so American. I'm like, No, no, no. This is me talking based on my experience to what works yeah. and does not work for me. Yeah. Period. No, totally. And
1: maybe yeah. that is environmental. I mean, yeah. I thank God, and I love India. I have so many cousins and family and I lived there for a while and I have a a, a great relationship with being Indian and being Brown, but I still thank God I didn't get raised. I wasn't raised there.
0: Yeah, I actually agree. I would actually be in jail or dead being a gay woman as well. Yeah, I'll get laws. you. I'll figure out how to get you out. We'd yeah, you <laughs> out. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. But yeah. also, I, I agree with you. I am so grateful to be a, have been raised and educated in Australia as well because I think yeah. growing up in Sri Lanka, especially my mum, like even for her being a divorce woman, life would have been so different for all. So of us. different. Yeah, yeah, your mom is a trailblazer. Um, <laughs> I got to ask really quick because you have mentioned it, and, and you, we, don't, we
1: don't. You don't have to talk yeah. about it if you don't want. You're gay, that's a big deal in our culture still to our parents' generation, not to our generation. Yeah, Parents know, if they do know, how was that uh, Right. talk?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so my family found out, uh, one of my aunts watched, I used to host a TV show in Australia as well, I had a segment on there called, it was called Bent TV and I hosted a segment and apparently I said on this segment that I'm a lesbian and this is my name. I've never said that, but clearly this is what my aunt took from it She was sitting next to my mom's brother, who's my uncle, like, what is this? What's Ginny saying? And then the grapevine started. So she called my aunt, said, did you know Ginny's gay? And then it went all the way around to my dad. And my dad. Probably in about 90 seconds. I would say probably 60. Yeah. That's what the Melbourne Sri Lankan community is. So my dad found out then and, you know, he, I'm not that close with my dad. So he wasn't able to really sit down and say, okay, daughter, what's going on here? You know, and it, it's not really his his style to to sit down and, and talk about things like that. My mom, she knew, unfortunately, when she got Alzheimer's, she didn't really, she kept asking me where my husband was. So I don't know if that was her way of saying. That's totally her way. Right? I remember you have a partner, but I don't quite remember the gender of the partner. I Eventually, like my extended family, it was really helpful to have cousins who had the same experience that I did. Like, all migrated to most of us migrated to australia and we grew up that way and so when they were kind of like hey this is not such a big deal they were able to tell my aunts and uncles this isn't such a big deal and um there are some aunts and uncles who don't really talk to me about it but there are some who do um and they're like you know how's your partner how's everything going so in that aspect i'm really grateful of how progressive a right. part of my family is. And you know, there are parts they don't talk about. The ones
1: about. that aren't, it's just, you know what? It's
0: easier. Just it's brush and and off the shoulder. It's like lighter weight. It's, yeah, they don't know? talk about it. They're like, let's talk about everything, but but I don't get asked when are you gonna get married to a nice man anymore. So I think for me that's a win. Like that's a win. It's a itself. solid reason to be gay, by the
1: way. <laughs> just throwing it out there. So um <laughs> if, if anyone's listening. Um okay. So I'm going to do a fast round with you. Let's go. And, and, and then we're going to hit stop. And I know yeah. this is super quick, but I'm so glad we got to talk. Okay. <laughs> First thing that, that pops in your head. Okay. Who would you love to collaborate with that you haven't yet? Ultimate, like anyone. Mindy Kaling. Nice. Yeah.
0: She's, a, she's a popular one on the podcast. Yeah. I love it. She's like new money. I'm like, you go, girl. You go. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. I want to
1: hang out with her too.
0: Can yeah. you make <laughs> it happen and it might Best me? friends. Jindy. Yeah. That's her name. I feel like me Jindy. and her can be best friends. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like me and her could be best friends. We should yeah. all hang out, have a yeah. good group I feel like I could be best friends with a lot of people. Yeah. I just don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> dinner with four people, any four people, dead or alive. Okay. I'd love to have dinner with Oprah. I'd love to have dinner with the queen because, yo, there's a lot of legacy. You're ruling yeah. a, a kingdom for 70 years. Like, yeah, I want to. Girl's me. got some stories that she hasn't told. She does. She yeah. does. I'd also love to, um, Helen of Troy. Now, I don't know if that was a myth. But yo, if you're the face that sets the sale of a thousand chips, like I want to see your face. Yeah, yeah, I want to see your face. Know, want to and I want to unpack that with Paris and yeah, you know, all that.
1: She, she um, was she was like the the first influencer,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? We could just call we could just call we could call her that. We, we should make up an Instagram account <laughs> for her, right? <laughs> hello, Troy, don't, verified don't,
1: for first influencer. <laughs> totally. Yeah,
0: hello, Troy. And I guess the fourth person um, I'd love to speak with. That's interesting. Like, I've only ever thought of three, but I would love to speak to Madonna. Like, constantly reinventing till she was about 60. Like, that's amazing. So, four power I feel, like, I feel like if we sat down – I'm saying we all of yeah. a sudden because I'm yeah. going to be with you everywhere.
1: Yeah. I feel like we sat down <laughs> with her, I think she would be, like, getting these conversations. I'd be like, huh? I feel like she just, like – I don't know. Like, she's gone through so much. And, like, she probably has these – Ways of thinking that we don't even, you know, aren't yeah. even like don't think about kind of thing. People like Madonna, about- like different yeah. level of human being. I feel like,
0: and the level of creativity she has to go from Vogue to like MDNA, like that's yeah. the name of it. Like that was quite an evolution, and she I managed did. to keep. Quite a consistent circuit with that. Yeah, I did shake her hand once. You we'll, did.
1: We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, oh okay, yeah. I, I have a whole Madonna story. Me. Okay, my friend was a, a backup dancer for her tour. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I've done some jungly things, my friend. Okay. We, we need to talk too about and that. And then, last question. <laughs> yeah. What would you
0: ultimately want to be known for? Ooh, I would say um, providing a platform for diverse voices. There we go. I'm, I'm dancing, guys. So that's a good one. Thank you. I Thank like
1: you. it. <laughs> Tuckered Out is hosted by me, Ami Tucker. This episode is produced by Jeannie Media with Jeannie Saraswathy, Ashley Tuff, Micah Sweetman, Hans Andres, and Laura Radescu. You can follow me at Tuckered Out Podcast on Instagram and please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast.